with demand expected to come back. But the question remains, does this mean the economy is back on track? Companies now, after experimenting with offshore and places like India, Philippines, and Poland, want to bring those jobs back. We invest in the U.S. We're the biggest exporter in the country. In the cycle one right now, we're creating jobs. From Radio America, it's Neil Asbury's Made in America, the show that explores American industry, large and small, and promotes American-made products everywhere. Put Neil Asbury's Made in America to work for you. A very big welcome to you today. I'm Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Rothman. Hey, Rich, I mean, i got to read a couple of these headlines. It is amazing, uh, and this just is, is happening, and, 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 and Donald Trump's not even president yet. World Bank, Trump tax cuts could jumpstart global economy. Amazon to create more than 100,000 full-time jobs in the next 18 months. Apple seeks to expand manufacturing in Arizona. Well, that's cool. And uh, here's one, Fiat to invest $1 billion in Michigan and Ohio plants. That's great. They're not going to South Carolina or Tennessee. They're going to Michigan or Ohio. Wonderful. Alibaba, Jack Ma, who founded that uh, that company, incredibly successful company in China, talks to Trump about creating one million U.S. jobs. This is a Chinese entrepreneur talking about creating one million U.S. jobs over the next five years. And finally, we're going to talk about this more here in just a second. U.S. Small Business Optimism Index surges by most since 1980. 1980. That's that's just prior to Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton. Wow, Rich, what is going on here? It's the religion. It's the religion of Trump. It's a turnaround. This is exactly what we've been talking about for years. America has been waiting for somebody to come along who can lead this country and be the hero on the horse. They've been waiting for it. And they've been suppressed and held back, and they haven't had this opportunity. They haven't felt good about themselves. And then they have Trump come along on his big horse, making all these grand statements. And you know what? They love it. They got behind it. He did an amazing job in the election. His numbers were outrageous. He broke the rules, and he continues to break the rules. And you know what? He's challenging the elites. He's challenging the system. You know, my God, that's everything I was supposed to do back in the 70s when I went to college. He's doing it. This is great. That's what's happening. You know what's amazing? A couple of these companies on here are very liberal, progressive companies. And they're the ones, Apple and Amazon, who's saying that, hey, you know, we're ready to invest. We're going to create jobs. But I just mentioned this last headline. U.S. Business Optimism Index surges by most since 1980. An incredible thing. Absolutely incredible. And we have on uh, from that organization who put this together, Bill Dunkelberg, who's chief economist at the National Federation of Independent Business. Bill, welcome to Made in America. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Well, as I just said, I mean, this is really an amazing uh, thing, an amazing statistic. 1980, the year that Ronald Reagan was elected. We are going back that far to see such a surge in, in how American small businesses, the job creators of this country, and, and how well they're feeling right now. What an amazing turnaround. It is an amazing turnaround. If you, uh, of course, you, you remember that uh, shortly uh, after Reagan uh, won, we we suffered really two years of bad recessions. So eighty to eighty two was uh, a bad time. It was the last time we had ten percent unemployment rate. Uh, and so, what really uh, I think is interesting is in nineteen eighty three, with a whole set of pol- different policies. Uh, that's when we saw the index hit its all-time record high, better than 1980. 
uh, in the first quarter of 1983. And that, you know, following that, we got we had an expansion all the way to 1990 first quarter. The average GDP growth was 4.5 percent, and we created twice as many jobs per quarter as we've done in this so-called recovery period in the in the 2009 to current period. Well, it is it is amazing, and what's 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 equally amazing is that the jobs that we're talking about, whether it's Fiat or it's going to be, you know, um, uh, well Chrysler Fiat, it's going to be Ford, it's going to be Carrier, it's going to be, you know, Amazon, it's going to be whatever we're talking about, U.S. Steel, IBM, you know, it's going to be Jack Ma, and, and I mean, we're talking real jobs. We're not talking somebody getting out there and flipping a burger, which by right. the way will go away anyway through yeah. artificial intelligence. That's going to go away. So we're talking about real jobs, real manufacturing, people wanting to come back here because they feel that something good is happening. And, and you know what's going to be interesting? I was thinking about this. But here we have, you know, we have a high percentage rate over the last few years of people supporting Obama. Don't ask me how. But they did. They got a high, you know, you like the guy? Oh, yeah, I like the guy. Good, good thing. 42, 43, 44, 45, 48. He's a nice guy. He was a nice guy. Yeah. He, he comes across great, good smile, and he has great parties at the White House. But yeah. having said that... He also, they turn around in the same type of poll from Rasmussen, the direction of the country, 67% of the people say, oh, I don't like the direction of the country, going in the wrong direction. Exactly. But I like the guy. I like the guy. That's gonna, I think we're going to start seeing emerging, don't you, Neil? The, the message in the, it seems to be resonating amongst uh, uh, the folks that you track, deregulation, tax reform, infrastructure building. I mean, this is what small businesses wanted to hear of, evidently. Yeah, and of course, we're delighted to see that these large firms are, are going to spend a lot of money here, regardless of the politics of the people who run them. Uh, you know, they, they, they pay most attention to the bottom line. So they see good prospects here with the change in the management team in Washington. Uh, it's a different team with a different philosophy, one that trusts and values what the private sector can do for the economy, not what government can do. And that's the philosophy they have. And of course, that speaks directly to the small business uh, owners in the U.S. whose top problem for years now has been uh, the cost of uh, rising cost of health care. They want to see that addressed. And, I, and out of uh, 75 uh, problems that they identify, the top 10 basically are dominated by taxes and the cost of complying with government regulation and red tape. That's those are the things that drain their capital. The taxes take the capital away. And of course, compliance costs for things that they don't see the value of at all uh, just waste their time and energy. Well, one thing that I saw, uh, Bill, was this, is that in November, when the election was to December, there was 38 percentage point increase in those that believed that better better times were coming. And these are with small businesses, I should say. Right. Small businesses uh, that uh, responded to this poll, uh, 38 percentage points better from November to December, just after the election, that better days were ahead that they were willing to invest in their business, they were going to invest in their business, and that they were going to be hiring more people. What an incredible increase. Yeah, and we saw that we saw that change happen kind of day by day. You know, NFIB mails questionnaires on the first day of every month uh, to a random uh, sample of its 325,000 member firms. So we got to watch, we, we got to calculate the index for the first nine days of November from returns that we already had on the survey. People who I basically, like me, thought that uh, Mrs. Clinton was probably going to win. So the index for October was 95. The index for the first nine days of uh, 
of uh, November were, was 95. The, the long-term average is 98, so we've been below average in this whole recovery period. And then for the, for the post-election results all the way through the end of November, 102 was the value of the index. I mean, so it just soared starting the day that we found out that there was a management change in Washington. Well, you know, I, I think you can sum this up in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way out of, uh, you know, Obama's administration versus Trump. I mean, Obama, uh, about a month or so when uh, Trump was uh, announcing Carrier, you know, he's going to bring Carrier back and not, not let them go to Mexico. And he's going to bring Ford back. That was on the rumor at the time. It wasn't confirmed. And then, and, and then President Obama gets out there, makes a speech and says, these jobs are not coming back. I don't know what he can do that we haven't done. I don't know what magic wand he has. You know what I mean? And he went through that whole tirade. And, and, and that's a very negative statement. Versus a Trump, which is why people are so excited and energized right now, Trump saying, I'll fix it. That's not going to happen. I'm going to bring those jobs back. So you have a proactive versus a reactive. You have a positive versus a negative. I mean, look at the difference. Look at the repressive words, the, 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 the idea that, well, this can't happen. We're not going to fix this. Coming from the president of the United States, that's, yep. that's the sadness that was there. And it's sort of like the lights come in and people are feeling good, and, and they've been Trumpized. Yeah, leadership is really important, and we just didn't have it. There was no cheerleader for the economy. Why? Because the president doesn't believe in the economy. He believes in the government, but not the private sector. He doesn't think entrepreneurship is that important. He doesn't recognize the fact that half of the private GDP is produced by small firms, not large firms. And none of that, you know, he, the head of the Job Council, he puts a, a, the head of GE, as I remember, or something like that. I mean, this is where you have to have a focus, and these people believe that Trump will do the kinds of things that will allow them to grow and unleash their energy, create jobs, and create output that people want. So, Bill, what are you, what's next? You know, I mean, this optimism obviously needs to see something happen. Right. right. So something's got to happen. And, uh, you know, how much patience are they going to have? Yeah, that's a good question, of course. And, uh, and what, what we, we love all the optimism, but as you pointed out, uh, and looking at the components of the index, you know, when we first had this, that big increase in November, there was really no change in, in hiring plans or uh, inventory investment or capital spending plans. So we need this, the optimism to change into plans. Well, that kind of prevailed in December as well, although we got a wonderful bump. Trump's not even the president yet, but as long as they're making steps in the direction that the small business owners think will get them where they need to be, I think uh, we'll see it continue for a while. Hey, Bill, you've been a wonderful guest. Thanks for coming on the show. We've been listening to Bill Dunkelberg, who's the chief economist at the National Federation of Independent Business. Bill, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Coming up, Dr. Rothman and I are going to have a conversation about these very fascinating headlines that impact your jobs. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Rothman. Rich, to follow up on these headlines, um, when President-elect uh, Trump uh, just won that historic election. It was on a, a week or two later that the head of the uh, SoftBank, very, very large Japanese company, came and saw President-elect Trump and said that they were going to invest heavily in the United States, creating tens of thousands of jobs. I mean, that was great. 
big headlines, boy, something's changing. And now we see uh, Jack Ma from Alibaba from China. Now, Alibaba's huge. I mean, you know, we, we see Amazon over here, and, you know, we think Amazon is the largest Internet um, a, a company, Internet sales company, uh, a B2B a, a company, a, a direct-to-consumer company. Actually, they're not. The largest market capitalization of, a, of an e-commerce company is not Amazon. It's Alibaba by a long shot. I mean, Alibaba is an incredible business. Jack Ma is an incredible entrepreneur. He's the founder. And he comes now to the United States, meets with President-elect Trump, and says, I got an idea I want to share with you about how to create a million jobs. And I'm going to be the one to do it right here in the United States. Wow. Would he would if he ever had that conversation with Barack Obama? I don't think so. No, that 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 wouldn't have happened. The the mood was wrong. The person in the White House really had no clue how to create jobs and understand the nature of jobs. You know, Obama's got to be economics. watching. Obama's got to be watching this and saying, "Holy cow!" <laughs> well, of course, he, Holy of God. course, he is. Wow. This whole concept of legacy is going to disappear. It's going to be left in the dust of the economy, roaring down that road. And spewing out all the dust behind it. That's where the legacy of Obama is going to be. I had no clue. I had no clue how to do this. He really didn't. No. He had no clue. No, not at all. And and, 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 and you look at the people that are really functioning now. Jack Ma comes here to America and says, you know what? I, I got this. I'm going to put a million people who can work here. A million people over the next five years are going to work here. I haven't heard that from anyone. That, that's physical optimism, Neil. And then you got, you know, Obama's buddies, uh, Bezos at Amazon, Cook at Apple, you know, very, very, very anti-Trump, very vocal about that. And now all of a sudden, look at, you know, they're going to create all these jobs here in the United States. Obama could have never done that. Well, I don't think, no, Obama wouldn't have done that because I don't think Obama really believed in the concept of Americanism that way. I just I just don't buy into any of you that. You know, this, this thing that Bill just told us, that Obama believed in the government, and he didn't believe in entrepreneurs. He believed in the government. He didn't believe in the free market. I mean, it's so glaringly obvious that that was really the problem. Well, yeah, he believed in the big federal government. And the big federal government can solve all. I mean, look at Obamacare. It's a big federal government even solving friends, all. Even his friends in these liberal companies was not responding to this ideology other than run as fast as they could away from his regulations. Well, I do find it interesting. If you want to understand the psychology of them, now that you use that word, Chuck Schumer made a comment uh, a few weeks ago indicating that, you know, I, I'm not quite sure, you know, you know, Trump is out there and he's saying these words and he's going to make America great again. But the truth of the matter is he's going to need more than 144 characters in a, in a tweet to make America greater. We'll see. And then it comes back, to, you know, a, a month or two later, we'll see. Well, we've got World Bike saying Trump's going to really change the world. We've got Amazon, who didn't support him, now saying we're going to put 100,000 people to work here in the next 18 months. We have Apple, who said, well, we can't get Apple back from China. It won't make sense. Well, Apple wants to come to Arizona. All right. That's good. We have Fiat, which is kind of a neat car because you could have a, a, a two car garage and you can turn it into a four car garage just by buying a couple of Fiat. <laughs> I never thought about that till just now. 
Isn't that amazing? You talk you about need, downsizing. But the problem is you need you need two because you need one for each foot. <laughs> There's no question you need to do that. You know, I, the funny thing is I had a Fiat when I was a kid. I had a Spider convertible. Another story, another time. Under Armour, the CEO, Neil, of Under Armour said we should be bringing jobs back to America. Said that last week. So what do you think's out there? There's a groundswell. People are out there. The people listening to the show right now are feeling better, Neil. They're feeling like, oh, my God, maybe there's a chance. Maybe I can give up one of these jobs, have two jobs, make more money than having three jobs because America is back in business. What do you think? Well, I think that even the World Bank recognizes that in America's unique position. Uh, their, their headline this week, Trump tax cuts could jumpstart global economy. So we're not just talking what's good for America here. We're talking about what's good for the world. And wasn't it? Trump demonized that our our international relations and people around the world would would um, you know would absolutely go berserk. There would be a meltdown in the world if Trump got elected. Well, they also said the stock market would crash. The stock market has soared since the election. Now the World Bank is saying, "Hey, well, wait a second. Maybe Trump's going to save their butts." Well, maybe he will. You know, maybe. How ironic is that? <laughs> yeah, really? He's, they're going to have to give in and say, well, you know, we were wrong. All right, check, please. And then you're going to go to the next story. You know what I mean? Absolutely incredible. Well, anyway, uh, we got a great show uh, today, as always. We're going to have coming up here, uh, Jesse Hathaway from the Heartland Institute. Rich, Kentucky is the next right-to-work state. Number I 27. I can't wait for that. We're going to talk about that. And following that, we got another great guest. You're going to definitely want to stick around for this. Michael Barone from the American Enterprise Institute. You see him everywhere. An incredible author. He's going to talk about which states are getting the, the, the population to move to them. Why are people moving to one state versus another? Very fascinating. Don't want to miss any of this. Made in America. Sharply higher at the open, stocks continued to perform well over the course of the day Tuesday. And I think that bodes well here over the next couple of years for having bigger demands coming to this country. Now, more of Neil Asbury's Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Rappin. Hey, Rich, we talked a lot about Kentucky leading up to the election with the, with the coal industry. Um, it, 2016 was an historic election throughout the United States. Uh, the amount of state legislatures that went Republican uh, is is absolutely mind-boggling. And, and one of the, the, the greatest example of this is that the Kentucky House of Representatives went Republican for the first time since 1921. Well, it was the horse vote. They, they, they got the horses out this time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if the Democrats is ever going to win it back. And, and, but let me tell you, they did not just sit down and just say, hey, let's party. We won. No, they're out there doing things. The Kentucky Senate and House passed right-to-work legislation, sent it to the Republican governor, and he signed it. Kentucky number 27. Fascinating. Well, we're going to have on Jesse Harthaway from the Heartland Institute. Join us now to talk about this, this vote and right-to-work and what comes next? Jesse, welcome to Made in America. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on the, the uh, show, Neil and Rich. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be talking to your listeners today. Well, well in, in, in Kentucky, 
um, the folks in the House and the Senate ran on a platform of worker freedom, re- worker freedom and <laughs> right to work. I mean, they didn't hide it. I mean, that's what they ran on, bringing jobs to Kentucky, getting rid of some of these arcane uh, sort of rules that favored unions and kept businesses out. And uh, they said, this is what we're going to do. And, and doggone it, they went and did it. And I guess Kentucky now is number 27. Well, it absolutely is number 27. Uh, they actually, the governor, uh, you know, Matt Bevin, uh, he signed the uh, the bill into law. It's a House Bill 1. So it is literally, quite literally the first thing they sat down and did uh, once everybody had been uh, sworn into office and uh, had gotten, you know, gotten settled into their seats. So they passed this bill uh, in both houses, uh, sent it to the governor. Governor signed it. On a Sunday night, uh, this, they've actually they were actually working over the weekend, uh, which was a little shocking to me. Uh, but they were they were working over the weekend to uh, pass this law, and Kentucky is the twenty uh, seventh state to uh, pass uh, right to work legislation. Uh, and there's a little, there's a lot of other states that were they're working on it, but uh, this year, uh, but Kentucky uh, went out and did it uh, right off the bat. So let me ask you this. This is great. I think it's wonderful. Now, when you look at the right-to-work states versus those that are not right-to-work states, we know that those states are growing. They're vibrant. They're exciting. They're attracting more and more business. They're creating jobs. It it seems to be the the right place at the right time uh, for the citizens of those states. So what's the groundswell? What does it mean on Main Street? What are the people in Kentucky saying right now? And do they really appreciate the goodness that can come from this? Well, if you think about it, you know, right to work, uh, what right to work is, it's it's basically a uh, prohibition on, you know, forcing people to, you know, forcing people to join a labor union as a condition of employment, you know, in their contract. So now, you know, the labor union and, and the local shop has to, you know, they actually have to compete uh, for people's business, if you will. They have to actually prove uh, that they provide more value. Uh, for a worker than if the worker just did their bargaining and did their negotiations uh, on their own. And, you know, that's actually, that's a win, you know, for the individual workers because they're getting more bang for their buck and they're not being forced uh, to join a, an organization that they may not want uh, to be a part of. Uh, so ever, and really, uh, this is also, in a way, it's also a win for labor unions. And they don't like to, they don't like to talk about this. But this actually win for them because now there's going to be more jobs, more businesses looking now looking at Kentucky saying, hey, maybe we should move here. You know, maybe we should exp- if they're already there. Hey, maybe we should expand our operations in the state, uh, and that's going to be that's going to be more labor union jobs. So they're in a way they're going to be winning uh, on, on thanks to right to work. Uh, in a way. So everybody literally is a winner, uh, thanks, and in, in, with right-to-work legislation. Well, you know, it just seems that it fits right in with what's been happening over the last six, seven months, and particularly prior to the election. You know, it's ironic, Neil, that, you know, the union members really embraced Trump, but the union electorate were embracing Hillary. That's That was a huge disconnect, that the actual workers thought they could have a better future in, in, in a freer environment than to be forced to be part of this union that seemed to not do the job for them. 
So I, it looks like that, you know, the, the workers are fully grasping what's happening and, and what could potentially be great for them. Well, you also saw that uh, uh, with issues such as the um, Dakota pipeline uh, there, because there were several, several uh, labor unions that were all for it because they recognized that, you know, building that pipeline, uh, you know, from Canada through the U.S., that that's going to mean more jobs uh, for them. Uh, and, not, and just not just as that first degree effect, but more jobs in their communities. Uh, so it's it's very interesting, like you said, that this that disconnect uh, between the um, the people the people who actually benefit from good decisions like this and the people who supposedly who uh, supposedly represent uh, the you know the the, the labor the union boss and the labor secretary. And Jesse, uh, it looks like Missouri's next. Missouri might be next. Uh, there's another another state. Uh, working on it, uh, they got uh, to work on this uh, over in New Hampshire. Uh, they're working on that. They're looking at that uh, as we speak now. Uh, so it's right now. It's a uh, it's a race between uh, Missouri and uh, New Hampshire. Uh, I'm sure there's there might be other uh, as the months go on. There might there might be other states uh, who uh, take a look at it. Um, you know, I'm kind of right now. I'm kind of interested in whether Ohio. Uh, we'll start looking at it because Ohio is nearly surrounded uh, by right-to-work states. Ohio is a forced unionism state, and there's, there might be a point where Ohio is completely, completely surrounded uh, by worker freedom states, and businesses are just going to say, why would I go to Ohio? I can go to any of these other states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana, West Virginia, Kentucky. Yeah, I can go to any, any one of those states and still be in the same general vicinity as Ohio, I just don't have to deal with the forced unionism that I would have to deal with in Ohio. And that's going to be a loss uh, for Ohioans and for Ohio jobs if that ever happens. So Ohio needs to get on the ball. Yeah, yeah. And and, and Pennsylvania as well. Hey, Jesse, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Coming up, we have Michael Barone from the American Enterprise Institute. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host Dr. Rich Ruffman. Rich, you know, you know, when you look at the American population and, you know, the demographics and which states people want to be in and which states are losing population, it really is a validation of those sort of policies that's working and not working. And over the Obama years, you know, with his ideology, you would think that uh, states that uh, were increasing taxes states that was increasing unionism would be where people go. I mean, because that's what he was promoting. The whole federal government was behind bigger government, more taxes, more unionism. But the people rejected it because the states who rejected it are the ones that are growing. So we're very pleased to have on to discuss this fascinating statistic, Michael Barone from the American Enterprise Institute and Washington Examiner. Michael, welcome to Made in America. Hey, it's always good to be with Made in America. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> well, your piece, states with right-to-work laws and no-income taxes grew fastest in the Obama years. Very fascinating. So tell us what you well, found out. 
Well, it's pretty striking. I took a look at the Census Bureau uh, results of the decennial census in 2010 and that just released this uh, Census Bureau estimates of the populations of each state in D.C. in 2016. Those are subject to some error, but they're, uh, they're pr- they've proved to be pretty good estimates on the whole. And what I found is that, uh, you know, when you uh, disaggregate the results according to whether the states have an income tax or whether the states have had a right to work law, uh, you see some very different pictures. Overall, in those six years, the nation grew at four points, population 4.7%. Uh, that's actually not a high rate historically. But when you look at the nine states with no income tax, uh, those states uh, – which includes some pretty big states like Texas and Florida, those states grew by 9.1%, but double the national rate. Whereas the 41 states with uh, the do have state income tax, uh, plus the District of Columbia, which is a resident thereof, I can tell you definitely has a state income tax. Um, what we see is that uh, those pop, they, they grew by 3.5%, which is a pretty low figure historically. And we see the same thing with right-to-work laws. The states that have had during these years, 2016 to 2000, uh, 2010 to 2016, right-to-work states, 26 states, uh, population up 6.2%, no right-to-work law, population up 33 uh, And I would say that there's one revision that we ought to make after this uh, piece was published, which is that um, – the states of uh, the state of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, just passed a right-to-work law, and we now have more Americans living in right-to-work states than in non-right-to-work states. But basically what's happened is Americans have been voting with their feet. Uh, you've got about 2 million people moving out of net, moving out of states with income taxes into states with no income tax. You have about 2 million, uh, 2.3 million moving into out of right-to-work states out of not states that don't have right-to-work laws. Um, that's pretty eloquent testimony that uh, states with uh, that don't have an income tax and do have right-to-work laws are providing more in the way of economic growth, are providing more in the way of opportunities um, than, than states that take the other point of view. Well, that, that's a very fascinating, you know, uh, concept to be talking about. I mean, when you look at some of these states, Neil and, and, and Michael, you know, and, and it really dovetails the election, what the election said, what America said about this, is that we don't want regulations. We don't want to have increased taxes. We want to eliminate as much as we can for that. We, it's sort of like let's free up the American people to really achieve the dreams that they've always had. And when you look at a state like Illinois, for example, I know you mentioned that in your really good piece here. Illinois is a disaster <laughs> of the a bottom state. Of the barrel. I mean, it's a disaster of a state. I mean, ironically, it's the home of the president, the current president. So, you know, what are we learning by this? I mean, I, the, the election dovetailed exactly what you're talking about, Michael. Well, that's right. Illinois has had the biggest population loss uh, as a percentage of population, uh, pre-existing population of any state in the country. And it's really pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, here's a state that it, the majority of people which live in metro Chicago. Chicago, I think you have to say, is one of the great achievements of Western civilization. 200 years ago, uh, there was a thing called Fort Dearborn at the mouth of the Chicago River where it empties into Lake Michigan. There were about a few hundred people there. Uh, and people built uh, through free enterprise. 
one of the great cities in the world in terms of economic production, in terms of support of the arts and architecture, um, in terms of human creativity. And what we've seen now is that state and local government is in the process of destroying one of the great artifacts of Western yeah. civilization. Uh, they've got, you know, Chicago, city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, and some of the various subsidiary governments there have pension obligations that are so high and so unreachable that they're going to gobble up the whole uh, tax revenues of the state of Illinois. They're on a path to doing that. And um, it's, uh, you know, this is, it's heartening to see that people have other choices and can take advantage of them. We haven't gotten the political correctness police saying you can't move out of a uh, high tax state and you know they, they're not barring us from doing that but it's also kind of tragic to see such destruction heaped on a city that uh, in many ways has been um, you know for all of its faults and so forth a um, a great achievement of civilization and one might add they've also got a crime wave and murder rate in the city of chicago that is uh, really horrifying. 750 murders in a year. Not good. Really, really wonderful, wonderful thoughts. We appreciate you very much. Coming up, Dr. Rothman and I are going to have some final thoughts for the day. Made in America. Welcome to Made in America. I'm your host, Neil Asbury, together with co-host, Dr. Rich Rothman. Hey, Rich, we haven't done any um, uh, update on the robots lately. You got anything for us this week? I got a couple of things I want to talk about, and, uh, and, I, and I have to get a cronyism in because pretty soon I won't be able to do it. But uh, in terms of robots, this is really interesting. You know, Amazon is saying that they're going to create, as we talked about, 100,000 jobs. That's, that's a lot of, you know. That's a lot of jobs out there for Amazon, and, and Amazon is part of this shifting paradigm of where retail's going, and this is kind of cool. It's doing that, but did you know that they also have increased their robots working for them? They have a very big robot force. I mean, they, they used to have 15,000 robots operating across their warehouses. In 2015, that number rose to 30,000, 30,000 robots. It's like the movie iRobots, Neil. And, and now Amazon has 45,000 robots working for them, and they're growing. And they're playing with drones now, too, which sometimes they work well, sometimes they don't. <clears throat> but it's, it's just an amazing statistics to play with. I have to put this out on cronyism, and then I want to get back to a, a, maybe a point from the show. Um, Obama's – I have to do this. I can't help it. It's just it's in my blood. Obama's family taxpayer-funded travel, Neil – has now exceeded ninety six million dollars. Uh, wow! And, and you know, it's just you can't help but you know love what's going on with with the economy and and, and what we're doing with with Obama. So okay, so ninety six million dollars, we give that to our best friends. It's called cronyism. We're excited by it. We'll move forward from that. I want to talk about something that that on the show we were talking about. You know, uh, Chicago and Illinois and in in the right to work states and so forth and how they do better and. And others don't. But, you know, one of the areas that, that we talked about a lot on the show over the years is Detroit as well. Is another example where you have a, a state that has high regulation, high control, um, uh, very, very stiff rules and regs to go along with. 
and and a union that really dominated it, and with it, particularly with their you know their funding for their pensions. And look what happened to that city. You know, we were just talking about Chicago being a beautiful city and, and having a two hundred year history from the you know the fort of Dearborn. And and then look, we're looking at it right now, and it and it's it, it, it's morally and it, and it's physically to a degree bankrupt. And then when you look at Detroit, Detroit, as we all know, we've talked about this. Detroit had one of the most vibrant economies in the United States, the world. You know, an incredible economy. One of the strongest middle class ever was in Detroit. Great museums and great, you know, incredible art collection, art collections and zoos and just. An incredible opportunity for families to grow. And then what happens? The unions come in. The union funding for their pensions come in. The, the ability to maintain debt just goes out the window. And you, and you have another disaster of a city that you've had with Chicago. And, and it really tells you something that what doesn't work and what does work. Well, sure as heck what they're doing in, in, in Illinois did not work. And, you know, what they did in Detroit did not work. And you look at some of these other cities, look at California with all the rules and regulations and the taxes. How do you make a living? How do you make it survive, Neil? Might I add one party rule? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's what happens. Yeah. You know, these people voted in the government, the corrupt government, to support these programs that were unsustainable and pass it on to their children. Well, well, that's exactly what they're doing. They're passing on a, an environment that could have been magnificent. You know, when you think about it, you think about you know the, the Tri City, and you look you look at Ford and General Motors and and Chrysler Corporation. You know, being such great icons of of the United States, working and functioning in these major cities, and then and you see, you know, what it, it, to a degree when you see what the unions have done to these great organizations. By, you know, if you go to a, a not right to work state and they're paying seventy five dollars an hour plus the job bank that they have to fund, even though the people in the job bank aren't working, they still get paid because they're in the bank in case they need them. But they really don't need them. So it's kind of like a union, you know, securitous, you know, uh, the plunge of funds going into the union. And then you go to a state such as like Tennessee, for example. And we've talked about that. And the union was struggling to get a stronger foothold in those states, which they didn't. And, and what are they paying for an hourly wage? Maybe $34 an hour, $35 an hour. So the, the car companies really have shifted which where the they're going to be. Which, by the way, goes to the employee. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Versus, you know, going to the unions. Exactly. So now that we look out, we have a new president. We have an opportunity. We have great optimism that we've talked about on the show. Coming up soon, better cities, better environment, better right-to-work you know, right states, and the opportunity for everyone to partake in that. It's a tremendous opportunity staring us down the road. Exactly. Hey, Rich, a wonderful show today. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But we're going to be back again next week for another adventure of Made in America where we never stop fighting for your jobs. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.